You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning. Welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon, as usual, with me in studio and welcoming him back, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Uh, just uh, checking up on your sartorial uh, selections this morning. We got Alabama, we got the Leafs, and the Bills. So the you Bills got all. one last week. <laughs> uh, Alabama won after a scare yesterday. From the, the, <laughs> the Citadel, I hardly a scare. 10 10 tie after halftime. Hardly a scare. And, uh, Final score 51 17. Uh, and the Leafs. And of course, I'm proudly wearing my uh, my Notre Dame they gear this morning. They were impressive yesterday, Wally. Impressive. Love their uniforms. They were uh, they're playing at Yankee Stadium in the Shamrock Series against Did you Syracuse. You see all the snow <laughs> they got, too, in New York? And uh, great, great Notre Dame uniforms with the pinstripe pants, uh, trying to look like the New York Yankees out there. Anyways, uh, coming up on the show today, shortly after the first break. Attorney for the NHL players in the concussion litigation. He's been on our show quite a few times, keeping us abreast of the uh, litigation. Stephen Greigel, who uh, is going to report into us about the settlement that has been reached with the NHL. Look forward to that. Middle of the hour, we'll be talking to the irreverent Liam McGuire, uh, NHL hockey historian, trivia expert, writer of four hockey books, working on his fourth, and uh, a passionate Paul Henderson fan. And uh, Paul Henderson, once again, uh, notably absent uh, from the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, not absent from an attendance point of view. That's not the point. He has not been inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that has still a sore spot with a lot of people in this country and in the hockey community around the world and no more of a sore spot than it is for Liam McGuire. Uh, and well, he's a passionate uh, advocate for Paul Henderson being in the Hockey Hall of Fame and we're pleased to chat with him shortly after the uh, first break. Naz, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, William Neenlander. I'm getting tired of this conversation, to be quite honest with you. I I mean, this uh, was going to end three weeks ago. It still keeps going on. Now they're talking about December 1st is the the, uh, deadline. He has to sign by December 1st, or he's not playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. And uh, perhaps never again, for that matter. He could sit out, though. You know, he can sit out, and uh, he's, uh, he's putting it to crunch time. Uh, as you pointed, uh, rightfully pointed out to me earlier, before we went on air, the uh, last NHL player to sit out an entire season over a contract uh, or non-signing with contract was Mike Pekka back, I believe, in 2000, 2001. So it's been a long time. A lot of the, uh, you know, some of the players will push the negotiations up near the deadline, but we're getting we're getting down to the short strokes here, Naz, and... Uh, the we'll right, see. The right thing for them to do is to sign them, but they, it's got to be on their least terms, I'm sure. They're well, holding the hammer here. Well, I don't know who's holding the hammer. Uh, you know, the Leafs are playing well, but, you know, you know, it's it's November. It's October. There were 20 games into the season or thereabouts. 
and you know hockey is going to become a lot more difficult later on in the year and uh, you know certainly it would be nice to have William Nylander in the lineup come February March April when it t- gets a little bit tougher to score goals uh, certainly a talented player but uh, we don't know what that number is and uh, I got to think that the number for the Leafs is somewhere between six to six and a half million and uh, I my gut instinct tells me that Nylander's holding out for seven. Uh, I think the $8 million a year figure is a little bit preposterous, but I think he's he's trying to squeeze seven out of the Leafs. And uh, Leafs got a problem on their hands because Marner, <laughs> you know, Marner's taking his, 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 his market value seems to be going up uh, every week. Uh, we come on and chat about it. Uh, Matthews, we all know where that number is going to go. You've got Tavares at $11 million and you've got... You know, you've got uh, Gardner. I don't know how much you want to spend on him, but probably you won't have enough to sign him. You've got Kadri coming down the pipe in a few years and Morgan Riley, who's taken his game to another level. So I, I don't know where the... Uh, I hope I hope they've got some significant uh, mathematical calculators down at uh, down at uh, the Scotia Bank Arena and down on Bay Street because how they're going to make all those numbers work, uh, I have no idea. Well, take a look at the Leafs. It's only twenty games, but take a look at the Leafs roster. We have Frederick Anderson, who is a candidate for the Vezina Trophy based on the play he has played this yeah, he's year. He's been phenomenal. Two yeah, o- he has. 208 uh, yep. goals against average have been phenomenal. You have a Norris Trophy uh, winner possibility in Morgan Riley, and you have an MVP type season in John Tavares, and you have a leading scorer potential in Mitch Marner. Where does that leave the Leafs? Really, they, they an incredible start for them. No question about the incredible start. I, I know, Naz, you posted on social media the other night they were in, uh, I guess, after their victory against uh, the Ducks on Friday night, they're in first place. I don't know if they survived. Yeah, no, Tampa Bay's Tampa there now. Bay, uh, yeah. Uh, won last night, but they're they're you know they're fighting for first overall. Um, and think about it, uh, they've been missing Austin Matthews for yeah. ha- almost I guess probably half their games are pretty close to it. Uh, Nylander, sixty one points last year, uh, two important vital cogs of their of their uh, of their forward lines. They've uh, been missing for a significant part of the season, and they're still fighting for first overall. Uh, you know that's a pretty significant achievement. Uh, you get all uh, you get them all in the lineup going at the same time. It, it almost gets to the point you can almost say this can get pretty scary for some of the other teams in the league. That's for sure. Looks like they don't match up against Boston too well. Well, I uh, you know. It, you know, we tend to get excited about the one game that they, you know, it's long season. It was one game. Uh, they out they they outplayed them in the first period um, significantly in that game. Uh, Twenty shots in the first period didn't score any goals. Leafs scored the first goal in that game. Maybe it's a different game. Yeah. I, I'm not. I, I, the only disturbing part of that game was is of course the, the those three guys. You know, beat him up again, not physically, but on the on the score sheet. Uh, Pasternak, Marshawn, and Bergeron. Yeah. Uh, Leafs have seem to have no answers for those three guys, and they've got to figure. You know, if they're going to you know line up against the Bruins, they got to figure out how to shut these three guys down. There's got to be some scenario or some five guys you can put on the ice that are that are going to shut these guys down. You shut them down, the Leafs can beat them. 
Yeah, you look at Mitch, you were talking about Mitch Marner and having to sign him. He could win the scoring title. I mean, he's only three points out, and he's a point what, 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 He gathers yeah, points, Wally. He's no, a type of player. He's, uh, Don't underestimate him. He could win the scoring title. He could. He's a he's 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 a he's a phenomenal hockey player, and he's just a pleasure to watch. I mean, he's just he's just you know he's one of those players. You know, he just sees the game at a different level. Uh, he, he almost reminds me, in a certain sense, that just this idea just popped into my mind right now. But he's almost like the Steve Nash of hockey. Uh, you know, little guy, uh, makes incredible passes, threads the needle, seems to be in the right place, just seems to see the entire ice and make the right play at the right time. I don't know if you saw that setup he made to uh, Riley. to yeah. Riley for the overtime goal, yeah. you know, I mean the the you know the the, the default play on that is uh, you got the puck, it's it's developing into a two on one. You rush in towards the uh, the goalie, but Marner didn't do that. He hesitated, and he let the play develop, and then he let Riley get open. So he just he just let the play flow till O'Reilly was in a position he could make the pass to him, and that's just you know that's just you can't I mean, you just can't teach that. I mean, uh, you know, most guys would just take that puck and rush to the net and allow the allow the defenseman to break it up. Not not Marner. He stopped. He hesitated, and he let the play develop. He has the most in the NHL: eighteen assists, first assist goal, goals in the NHL, where he assists. On 18 occasions, that's an incredible amount. Yeah, cer- it certainly is. Uh, and uh, what can you say about the play of uh, Frederick Anderson? He's uh, being touted. You know, we've, uh, you know, uh, to be fair, we've uh, at times been critical of Anderson. We were critical of his uh, performance in the Boston series. But uh, as we always say on the Naz and Wally show, you got to give credit where credit is due. And he's had a phenomenal start to the season. His, his save percentage is, I think, the third best in the league. He's up in the 930s, 930 940s. Those, those, are, those, are, those are phenomenal numbers. Um, certainly, if he keeps his game at that level, uh, that's Stanley Cup caliber goaltending, no question. We all know Frederick Anderson has uh, is is a talented goalie, and if he is ma- able to maintain his game at that level, uh, he will be the key to any run the Leafs make in the playoffs. And, yeah, and I guess the other key to the season, we're you know happy to see Garrett Sparks get a start on uh, Friday night. Uh, played well. Uh, hopefully that's a boost to his confidence. He's an awkward-looking goalie, though, Wally. He is, but uh, I, I, I really could care Dominic what they Hasek, look like. Dominic, <laughs> Dominic Hasek was like that, too. Uh, right? I, I could care less what they look like. It's, He's it's an not style. You've got to keep the puck. you got to keep the puck out of the net. And, uh, you know, the goal, the goal, I think, for the Leafs is somehow you got to get Anderson into 20 to, you know, 25 games, the 20 to 25 games, closer to the 25 games. You can't do that just on back-to-backs. Uh, if somehow we can get Sparks to play like he did uh, the other night, and uh, hopefully that was a big boost to his confidence. If we can get him confident and playing the, the team's confident in front of him, um, that would uh, that would be of assistance to Freddie Anderson come playoff time. Yeah, that's for sure. Sparks is, um, is an important part of the team. Uh, but they need to rest Anderson too, and I hope we, they don't. Well, they over, have to. They don't overplay. Yeah, the, the reality in today's NHL, you can't you can't afford to mail points in. Your your backup goalie's got to have the ability to win you games. Um, things are too tight, uh, as you as you pointed out, Naz. 
you know, uh, you look at the standings today and there's a whole bunch of teams that are in the playoffs that you wouldn't have thought that would be in the playoffs. You know, any team goes uh, on a run, they make the playoffs. Any team has a bad 10-game streak, they miss the playoffs. Uh, your number one goalie goes down, knock on wood. Uh, you, your backup better be able to step up or you, know, you could waste the season. There's two teams out of the playoffs as of today. It's Washington and Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is dead last. They got a long way to, to come back, and I don't think they're going to come back. I think they're going to finish well, out of the playoffs. Time will tell. Anyways, we've got to go to break. Uh, right after the break, we'll be talking with lead attorney for the NHL players in the concussion settlement, Stephen Greigel. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we received this letter. My marriage is in a rut. Can you help us spice things up? Yes. Get the gourmet special. Two medium gourmet pizzas for just $24.99. He loves Canadian bacon, so he'll order a deluxe. She can order the Italian, because she loves the hot Italian sausage. Everyone's happy. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. In downtown Toronto, we're on 96.7 FM on the internet. Live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Nazawali Sports Hour, Stephen Greigold. Stephen is the uh, one of the lead attorneys for the NHL players in the concussion litigation, which uh, was in the news, uh, has been in the news uh, starting about a week ago. Uh, Stephen, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Good to talk to you. Always good to chat with you, Stephen. Uh, we'll let it. We'll let you put it in your words. Um, it's been reported all kinds of different reports as terms of the settlement. Uh, it's it's a settlement, but it hasn't been finalized yet. So tell us what the uh, what the key terms of that settlement are for the players, and uh, where do we go from here? Well, I suppose the first point you made is a very important point, and that is it is a tentative settlement. 
as is often the case in these sorts of inventory settlements where, <clears throat> excuse me, one settles a number of cases and not on behalf of a class, the NHL has the right to determine exactly what number of settling claimants are required for the NHL to make the deal final and to finally say, yes, we are going forward with this. I am confident that we will achieve a number of settling claimants that the NHL finds satisfactory and then go forward. That then brings us to the second part of your question, what are the terms? The terms can be categorized in a couple of different ways. First, of course, there are monetary settlement benefits. There's an aggregate of $6.996 million in payments for settling clients, and that is $22,000 per player who signed up with a lawyer. If that player put his name on a complaint, there is an additional $4,000. And if you were one of the six lead plaintiffs, you get an additional $10,000 in a service award because they had to do rather a staggering <laughs> amount of work and spend a lot more time with lawyers than any human probably wants to spend <laughs> in order to make the case go forward. There's also testing. This is the second major category of benefit of this settlement, a very important part of the case. It was what we were looking to achieve in the litigation in large measure. The NHL pays for the testing, and if a player is more than 100 miles away from the testing locations, the NHL will pay for their transport and an overnight. The testing is pursuant to a protocol that has been approved by noted neurologist Robert Cantu, Dr. Rob Cantu of Boston University. And if a player tests positive in more than two areas in which the testing occurs, for example, neurocognitive functioning and behavioral functioning, there is an additional component of $75,000 in cash to subsidize any otherwise uncovered treatment costs for those injuries. That's a very important benefit. And finally, the NHL has agreed to put up new money of $2.514 million in what is called the Common Good Fund. And the Common Good Fund is for the health and welfare of retired players. It will also be used to backstop those treatments in the treatment payments of $75,000 max per player in the event that that fund gets exhausted. There is also a substantial amount of money, almost $750,000, for administrative expenses with any surplusage going to the common good fund. And then, of course, they are going to pay benefits to the uh, players who make application under the common good fund. So overall, we think this is the, a very good deal for our clients. Obviously, it's not everything we had hoped for. On the other hand, that is what makes a compromise. Nobody gets all they want. Stephen, uh, we've chatted, you've been on our show quite a few times, and we've uh, chatted throughout this litigation. Um, and, of course, uh, <clears throat> I, I obviously, because of my uh, professional bias, look at these things perhaps differently than some of the reporters or some of the commentators. Uh, I think I have a little bit more of an in-depth knowledge of uh, what you were up against uh, from a legal perspective and some of the tactics uh, and some of the some of what happened the strategies and how the how the legal system works and uh, what you were up against um, and I'm sure you've read some of the, and, I, and I want you to respond to this uh, just so that our listeners understand because the first reaction from a lot of a lot of the press a lot of the reporters is it's it's not a good settlement because the players only got this amount of money and the NFL players got 
whatever they got, 10 times more, whatever they got. It's, you know, it's obviously the NFL players got significantly more. Uh, I understand that you're comparing apples and oranges. Uh, perhaps some other people in the press don't understand that. Uh, but explain to our listeners why this was different. Uh, why this should not be evaluated in the context of how the NFL players settled their litigation. I'm very glad you asked that. In fact, I am not going to bore our listeners with my 16-page, 16-paragraph, <laughs> 16, 16 I should say, bullet-point summary of why this settlement and the NFL settlement cannot be fairly compared. In fact, the comparison is invidious. Among other things, the National Football League concussion case had enormous player buy-in. The minute that case was announced, about 5,000 of the 20,000 NFL retirees opted in, said, we want part of this. That did not happen in the NHL case. There was a tremendous reluctance on the part of National Hockey League players to sue the league. There are cultural differences there. There are personal differences there. NFL players hate the NFL, it seems, when they retire. I've represented a lot of NFL players. They have no compunction at all about suing the league. National Hockey League players absolutely do. And obviously, that large buy-in that the National Football League concussion case had gave the National Football League plaintiff lawyers tremendous leverage that was absent in our case. That's a huge point. It drove almost everything in the case. Second, the National Football League has over $13 billion a year in annual revenues. The National Hockey League just recently topped $4 billion. The NFL had a lot more money to spend in settlement than the NHL did. NFL case started a very auspicious time for the NFL plaintiffs. The National Football League had enormous public relations problems, driven largely by player misbehavior that was ballyhooed in the media and cast a very negative light on the National Football League. The National Football League was losing ad revenue. Advertisers were pressing, pressing the league. The National Football League had no interest in another black eye. And what that black eye might have been was something that was prominent in the football case and not in the hockey case, and that is this. The NFL, unlike the NHL, had actively promulgated false science. That gave their plaintiffs a very hefty legal leg up. That false science were papers, was papers produced by the head of the National Football League's concussion committee at the time and two of his cohorts, which said that players could safely return to play in the same game in which they had been concussed. Of course, that was completely fraudulent science, completely wrong, and the National Football League dumped the head of that committee, dumped his two cohorts, came in with good doctors, and had to go before the United States Congress, apologize, and withdraw those papers. In other words, the National Football League had behaved in a way that was dramatically, clearly, publicly contrary to the best interest of its players' health, whereas the National Hockey League had not sponsored that kind of perniciously fraudulent science. A very large point, too, that people ignore. The National Football League settlement, people talk about it as a billion-dollar settlement. Well, theoretically, and only theoretically, only about, I think... $275 million, give or take, don't quote me on that, but it's close, has been paid out. Every single claim is contested. When players submit claims in the National Football League settlement, there is an administrative process by which the National Football League can challenge those claims, and it is not simply sign up and get paid. At least in our case, the players who played one game or 2,000 games or 1,000 games, they get paid. And another thing is that in the football case, the players' fees, the players' uh, payments, 
are subject to their attorney's liens. Not only did the National Football League plaintiff's lawyers get paid from the National Football League $112.5 million, those plaintiff's lawyers are also enforcing their contingency agreements against their players. So if a player gets a million dollars, some 30 to 40% of that, or 20%, whatever the contingency agreement is, goes to the lawyers. In our case, every dollar that the players get, they keep. Yes, it's lower money, but at least they get to keep it. The plaintiff's lawyers are not enforcing their liens against their contingency agreements. Stephen, um, I was talking to Stephen Greigel, who's the lead attorney for the NHL players in the concussion litigation. Uh, Stephen, one, uh, you're a central figure in this litigation. Um, Gary Bettman was a central figure. Uh, I think it's you're one of your co-counsel, Charles. Is it Charles Zimmerman? Yeah, Bucky Zimmerman. Yeah, uh, a central figure in this litigation. The whole litigation turned on the certification question of the class action, and um, unfortunately for uh, for your side, you didn't get the result that you would have hoped. And that that and there's no question uh, that changed the whole nature of this thing from a league, from a tactical and strategic point of view. But Charles Bettman, I know that we've talked about him on the show before, and you have the highest respect for him as an attorney and as an employee of the NHL. Uh, but Charles Zimmerman was quoted and uh, as saying it was difficult to, uh, to deal with the NHL when they were using scorched earth tactics. Um, do you want to comment on that? It is fair to say, as my friend and colleague Bucky said, that the NHL litigated this case with what can only be called a vengeance. Every issue was contested. Every single claim was challenged. Every possible motion that the National Hockey League could file was filed. When we filed our motion for class certification, which you correctly note is a very large lever in these cases and is dispositive often of how a case turns out, we put forward five experts to support our view of the medicinal, epidemiological, and legal parts of the case. The NHL put forward something on the order of 17 experts. Every expert, as you know, as a lawyer, is tremendously expensive, and there's a tremendous amount of lawyer time involved in working with these experts and formulating their opinions and preparing them to be cross-examined under oath. Think about that. We had five experts. They had something on the order of 17. That by itself is emblematic of the way the NHL approached the case. It made it extremely difficult. To use the comparison, in football, it seems, the National Football League was interested in resolving the problem that they knew they had. The National Hockey League, Commissioner Bettman, as you know, I do respect and have tremendous respect for what he's achieved for the game and the job he's done for his owners. I have one major disagreement with the commissioner. It is this case and the NHL's approach to it. Commissioner Bettman never thought the case had merit. He always thought that this was a lawyer-driven case that really didn't have an appropriate legal basis, and he was committed to that. And clearly the NHL's lawyers followed that mandate in litigating every issue. They're very skilled lawyers. They are tremendously aggressive in court, and they challenged everything that we did. It was an enormously difficult litigation. And the standard phrase is, yes, it was scorched earth. Stephen, what are the options are there for the players if this isn't agreed to? If this isn't agreed to, the National Hockey League can do a couple of things. One, of course, they can simply walk away and say, the case posture now is such that every one of the 320 give or so claimants can continue to prosecute their individual cases. 
I don't believe that's in the NHL's best interest because then they have to litigate all those <laughs> cases to the extent the players want to continue to bring them. But the players can continue to litigate their individual cases. They could simply drop their cases and say, we're not going to do this. Another alternative is that the National Hockey League can say, we would renegotiate with you. The settlement agreement is public. Therefore, it is common ground. People know that the NHL could come back to us and say, even though we did not get a sufficient number of players to allow us to accept this deal, we didn't get the global piece that we are hoping to buy, but we will renegotiate with you to settle the claims of those claimants who do want to settle. Uh, that is an option. So players have a couple of options. One, of course, is to continue to litigate their cases as they are. Another option is to negotiate if the NHL is willing, and there's a provision in the agreement that allows the NHL to do that, to renegotiate a different deal. Uh, we've been talking to Stephen. Stephen, uh, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Um, you know, there's we've chatted about this for 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 years now, and you you know how I you know how Naz and I have felt. We've been supporters of the players, um, which I appreciate tremendously. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> uh, we've been critical of Gary Bettman uh, in this sense. Um, I would have thought that a commissioner of the NHL uh, would have approached this more than just from uh, tactics and strategy and. He just, at the end, he became an employee of the NHL and a very good employee, but not a commissioner in the classical sense of the term. And for him to have keep on saying that there's no connection between hockey brain injuries and CTE, uh, and in, 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 in spite of the scathing remarks that have been made about him by Ann Kelly coming to that conclusion, I'll leave it at this, Stephen. Uh, we've supported you guys from day one. Um... We have known, and I appreciate from a professional perspective, the roadblocks and the obstacles that have been put in your path and in the path of the players, which uh, that's the way the legal system works. Or doesn't work. <laughs> or doesn't work. Uh, that's just the reality of, of uh, that's just the reality of the situation. I'll leave it at this. I saw a quote in one of the reports that I read that said that both parties won. Uh, it's easy to figure out how the owners won. They limited their damages to an amount that, it, it, at least on the surface, seems to be pretty minimal. But the players also achieved something here. Um, they got they got a settlement, although not not the amount perhaps they would have liked. But they got a settlement that I don't think any of them could achieve if they tried to do it themselves. So you guys were winners in that respect, and we applaud you for that. Very much appreciated. Deep, deeply appreciated. For me, as you know, this was always more of a cause than a case. I love the game. I love the players more. And for me, it was always about solving a problem. The NHL likes to say we're a family. My view was, well, then let's act like it and take care of the retirees who helped build this wonderful game in this league into the colossus that it has become. Uh, anyways, I don't think this is the end of this, Stephen. Uh, I'm sure there'll be another opportunity for us to chat. And uh, thank you once again for uh, giving us your professional insights and your time and your passion. We really My appreciate it. My pleasure. As always, look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks so much, Stephen Greigel. Uh, Naz, uh, before we go to break, any 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 comments? Uh, you know, I know you were uh, you were out of town when all this came down. Uh, 
It's tough. It was it's a it was tough for the players, and you know, there's it seems a, like a very small amount of money for them to settle with. But I mean, yeah, I the, think, the, the, the I think pro- there's no choice here. Yeah, it, you know, you have lit- litigation is uncertain as as Steve and I. You know, I, I I get I get I get what they were up against, and they just they you know the NHL they just fought tooth and nail every single legal option available to them. Uh, but I guess that's why Gary Bettman is hired. You know, he's hired to represent the owners. He's hired to put money in their pockets, uh, and he's doing. He's done a good job of it. He wasn't representing the players here. He was representing the NHL owners, and I'm sure the NHL owners are going to give him a pat on the back for achieving well, a good he's settlement. A, he's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Yeah, that's a discussion for perhaps with our next guest. Anyways, yeah. we've got to go to break. We'll be right after the break with hockey historian and hockey trivia expert and passionate fan of Paul Henderson, Liam McGuire. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised that, unlike pizza, you can enjoy Pizzaville's authentic panzerotti with just one hand. Pizzaville and its entities, owned in whole or in part, have no interest in knowing what you do with your other hand while you're consuming one of our panzerotti. Seriously. Get two authentic Italian panzerotti with cheese and sauce for just ten forty nine. One for each hand. Pizzaville Stone Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues. Price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM 740, downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and live on the internet. Video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Liam McGuire. Liam McGuire is a hockey historian, uh, the hockey trivia expert, and more importantly for today's discussion, a passionate devotee and advocate for Paul Henderson being in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Good morning, Liam, and welcome to Zoomer Radio. 
Morning, boys. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's it's uh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for joining us, Liam. I'll get I'll cut to the chase real quickly, uh, Liam. Yeah. Monday night, there was somebody missing from that ceremony, and uh, we we ch- we had the opportunity to chat about it very very briefly on our show last Sunday. We've chatted about it on our show for years. We actually yeah. had we actually had Paul on our show on September twenty eighth, two thousand and fourteen. Got a quick opportunity. To, uh, to chat with him about it. He doesn't advocate for himself, but I wouldn't expect no. any otherwise. But, Liam, Paul Henderson, not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Can yeah. somebody please explain it to me? Yeah, it's, um, it's a head-scratcher. It's, uh, you've teed it up pretty nicely there. It's, all, it's almost borderline treasonous, really, at this point. It's, um, it's, uh, the, I'm going to write something about it. I wanted to let this whole thing from the last... 10 days or so, and including the uh, inductions on Monday, which I was in attendance for, and and going back to the announcement of, uh, of, of Yakushev in the summer, which uh, good on him. Uh, had a great series and and, uh, and an okay career, and, and he's in largely champion for 72, and so for the, la- you know, for the past uh, almost six months, I've let this fester. I'm going to write about it this week on a little blog that I periodically post. Try and explain it. Um, it's, it's really difficult to do, but to, to lay it out. Okay. So he's not in, uh, there's 18 members of the committee, 14 have to say yes. He's been nominated four times. The first in 1997, which is the closest he came missing by two votes. So mathematically we know he hasn't achieved the required number of votes, um, as to why, when seemingly, Peers now have been championed three in particular from the losing Soviet team in 72, especially the last one, is probably what irks me the most at this point, although I believe, and I'm of the mindset, as are many others, that the weight of the goal and the incredible series and his play in it and the impact of it are more than enough for his induction based on the criteria as set forth by the Hall, which anybody can go and see on their website, by the way. And, and 99% of all hockey fans have never done. However, um, he should be in regardless. Uh, the, the reasons as to why, guys, there's speculation. There's nothing cast in stone. You can't find a website or read a book that says specifically he's been blackballed, but he's been blackballed. That's what's going on here. Liam, you've got, this, you've, go ahead. Liam, this started back with Vladislav Trechek, who was inducted, right? And, um, yeah, well, that, that was for me. That's where it started yeah. for me. Yeah, and uh, his goaltending that series wasn't that great. If you look at you talked to Bobby <laughs> Clark, wasn't that great. How come well, he's in there and not Henderson? Talk to anybody. I mean, both Bobby Hall and Phil Esposito will tell you that Vladis, they felt Vladislav Trejak was a was a, a very average goaltender at, at, at best. I'll, I'll, I'll say he was average to good and had his moments of greatness, but my God, that describes almost any goaltender at some point in time that's one of Ezra Trophy or, or, or one of Stanley Cup. Trechak went in 89 for a specific reason. And he went in with a guy who just did a commercial just uh, on your show here just prior to bringing me on, Gerald Zittler. <laughs> they went in together in, in 1989. And the reason that, uh, that Trechak went in is because the NHL knew that the wall was coming down. And they knew that the Russians, a uh, few that had been drafted going back to 1975, which was a direct result of the Summit Series, by the way, Katula by the Flyers in 75, was the first Russian born and raised ever ever drafted in the NHL. Some of the others, Trechak included, and a few others, uh, they knew the wall was coming down. And some of these guys were going to get a chance to play in the NHL. 
So they had to offer an olive branch. And they decided to buy an olive branch for the Russian Ice Hockey Federation. So what they decided to do was let's induct one of these guys in the Hall of Fame, make peace. You know, it's been 17 years here, the Cold War, let's make peace. And they actually thought of Yakushev, but he was too dour, and, and, and uh, they didn't figure he would be responsive with the public. He, had, he spoke zero English, so they said no. Harlamov had passed away from a car accident tragically three years earlier, and they settled, they settled on Vlad. He had recently been in Canada, and he had uh, done a barnstorming tour with Paul uh, on the anniversary, the 15th anniversary of the Summit Series, and they decided to put him in. And, 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 uh, and they did. And to me, that was the first shot across the bow as to, hey, hold on a second here. You know, the Hall of Fame is a pretty significant moment to champion somebody's career. You're putting in a guy now who had never played the NHL, which doesn't seem to be as much, a big an issue in 2018, but in 1989 it was. Not only that, he's a losing goalie. Not only that, as you point out, he was brutal, thank God, in especially <laughs> the last three games. And not only that, he, he wasn't even the best player on the Russian team. <laughs> uh, putting him in. Liam, so that was the first shot across the bow. Yeah, Liam, um, go over a couple of points here. And, you know, I'm, we, we chatted briefly last year. I, I could care less whether Yakushev's in the Hall of Fame. Um, and and I don't want to denigrate anybody else who's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to make this into an argument between you know that if that guy's there, Henderson shouldn't be there. I, I could care less about that. There are two individuals that you know you you've talked about ha- being influential and Paul not being in the Hall. I really don't want to talk about that either. All I want to talk about is Paul Henderson, uh, and and. And him being, I was originally, you know, I've I've sort of changed my opinion over the course of the last ten years. I sort of fell into the trap of 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 evaluating Paul Henderson's career in the NHL, and he wasn't a great player in the NHL, and all kinds of players had stats just as good as him. I fell into that trap. I've come out of that trap. And I've come to understand, perhaps because of my advancing age and you know, Paul's advancing age and his health problems, and, and looking back on, with fondness on that 1972 series, it's almost like I feel like certain people in hockey, selection committee specifically, have forgotten or choose not to remember the significance of that series. I mean, I've heard comments like, well, it didn't mean anything in the United States. Really? I mean, like, who cares whether it meant anything in the United States? It was the focus of the hockey world, riveted a nation for a month. And, 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 and Paul Henderson stood above everybody in that series. I mean, him and perhaps Paul uh, Esposito were one, too. He's in the International Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't know what yeah. gets him in there. Whatever gets him in there should get him in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's a member of the Order of Canada, a member of the Order of Ontario, member of Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. And I've just gone through four years of getting Dave Keon in Canada's Sports Hall of Fame, finally managed to accomplish that. And I'm saying... Have people forgotten what 1972 was all about? Have they forgotten the importance or how that riveted us? Well, they have. And you, listen, you, you've, you've phrased it a, a, a good way. And I certainly never, I mean, my whole mantra, I'm 18 years in. You're four months. I'm 18 years. So I, I started running a campaign for Paul publicly in January of 2000. That's a long time. It's almost 19 years. Who's kidding who here? And, and to get Paul the Order of Canada, 
if I went in and told you about Operation Snowflake as we as tell we, us, uh, no, tell it. us, tell us, Liam, go ahead. We want to hear that. We want to hear that story. I, I nominated Paul for the. I, I, I had a plan. I had a, I have had many plans in the last almost 19 years to get Paul inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And one of the ones I devised, and they, every time I've come up with one, I said, this is foolproof, this will work. And I said, okay, here's what we've got to do. We're going to get him the Order of Canada. I'm going to get him into the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame, and it'll be just a stepping stone. The momentum will build, and they'll, they'll put him in the hall. Because at this point, obviously, Harlem all has gone in as well. I said, look, they're, they're, they're putting guys in based on 72. Paul's got to get a shot. So uh, I nominated him in 2011 for the Order of Canada. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. They didn't give it to him. They didn't give him the Order of Canada. And at that time, if you went to their website, it, it, uh, you had a form you had to fill out. You had to get it notarized, get it signed by three witnesses, the whole, the whole nine yards. And there were some restrictions. One restriction was you could never nominate a person a second time. The second restriction was you couldn't speak about it publicly. You couldn't say a thing publicly about the person. I'll keep it all in the QT, whether he gets in or not. If he doesn't get in, well, that's too bad. Better luck for maybe his neighbor, somebody who did something, whatever. And I was absolutely blown away. The hockey guy, by the way, who went in that year was Scotty Bowman. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Of course, Order of Canada, whatever. Paul Henderson didn't receive the Order of Canada. I went nuts. I phoned every radio host I knew in Canada for the next three weeks, and I screamed from the highest mountaintop saying, this is absolutely sacrilegious. I get a phone call. I'm driving my kids to school. I get a phone call from Senator Duffy. He used to work in the media here in Ottawa. I only knew him superficially. He said, ask me what was going on. I told him. He said, give me a couple of weeks. He phoned me back a couple of weeks later. He said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to nominate him again. I said, I can't. Not allowed to. He says, oh, yeah. Nominate him again. We're making some, some inroads. And he says, by the way, contact the CBC reporter in Toronto by the name of Simon Dingley. He may even be listening right now. <laughs> a dear friend of mine. Yep. And he said, we're going to put out some public. Uh, uh, so we're going to put it out publicly. Simon's going to lead off on the CBC. Uh, Liam, you're going to do the social media, nominate him again. I'm going to take care of it internally here politically. So uh, I nominated, I wrote it in again, followed the whole process again, which at the time I was told I wasn't allowed to do, but I did. Long story short, fast forward eight, nine months, the 2012 inductees, it's announced that Paul Henderson's going to receive the Order of Canada. Senator Duffy phones me back, and we get after everything was discussed and found out about and all the rest, and he said, I said, what happened? How'd you pull it off? He said, very easily. I went into Prime Minister Harper's, Harper's office, told him what was going on. I'd already met Prime Minister Harper in 2011 to set forth the table for Paul's induction to the Hall of Fame and, and indicated to him I was going to get him the Order of Canada. He thought it would be a no-brainer. And when he didn't get it, uh, Prime Minister Harper himself went into the Privy Council's office and said, hey, you're going to see a paperwork for Paul Henderson for the Order of Canada. Make sure he gets it. And that's how it happened. And we deemed it Operation Snowflake, and in 2012, Paul Henderson got the Order of Canada. And then he got inducted, as you just correctly stated, into the, uh, into the International uh, Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame. And he went in with Matt Sundin and Peter Forsberg. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, those are two pretty good hockey players. They had some international success as well. You know, in the Olympics, they won Olympic gold. Well, Paul Henderson was a key component, as you just stated for the most the greatest international series in the history of the world. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. So just to follow up, to uh, circle back around to your dissertation there, not regarding Yakushev and Harlamov and Tretiak, the, uh, the people that say no, the people that are listening right now that are dead set against, singularly because of Paul's NHL career, 
not even spending five seconds on the Hall of Fame website. It boils down to, guys, what weight do you put on 72? And you just said, I think it was Walter who spoke on that, uh, saying that, uh, you know, you're of the camp for 10 years. Now you've realized differently. You've thought back, hey, wait a minute, you know, the impact, the impact of that series. Every single international hockey player drawing a paycheck in North America today owes their livelihood (laughs) to the Summit Series. How it played out, the drama, the controversy, the comeback, the incredible heroics, and the, the unbelievable interest it generated in the hockey world, an insatiable appetite the world over in the sport of hockey to have, to have the best players play. That's what led to the World Juniors starting in 74, the first Canada Cup in 76, the Challenge Cup in 79, the subsequent Canada Cups in 81, 84, 87, and 91, the World Cups in 96, 04, and 2016, and Olympics, the players going to the Olympics in 1998. It all was besetting of because of the Summit Series and how it played out. And the impact of that goal drove that. The impact of that comeback in Paul Henderson's heroics in games six, seven, and eight <laughs> drove that. And, and the, that, that should be measured as well greatly as to why he should be inducted into that Sports Hall of Fame. So if you want to eliminate the controversy and anything else, and you look at it at face value, it alone should have garnered him induction from the time he got off the plane, September 30th, 1972, as far as I'm concerned. Liam, it looks like there's a black ball for sure. And I'm going to add Don Cherry in this. Why is he not in the Hall of Fame? Both of them should be in. Because this is getting ridiculous. Don Cherry's in his 80s and still not inducted. What the heck is going on? Grapes should be in the builders. Um, Grapes is paying a price that the Hall of Fame have shown for years, regardless of who's on the committee, that they're they're a very petty, small-minded, a narrow-minded and agenda-driven bunch only when they have to conduct this business because they, they, don't, they don't run individually with autonomy. They, they, if, if it suits them and, and, it, and it's met with approval from above, which is Jim Gregory and Harry Sinden, who's no longer in the same role, but Jim still is to a degree, even though he's not voting. He carries a lot of weight. And, you know, Eric Lindros had to wait. Uh, it, you know, the, prob- the problem now is in the last 15 to 20 years, is when somebody goes in that's a head-scratcher, and now with social media, millions of people can comment right away. I mean, Bernie Federko went in. Can you imagine if social media had been around? I mean, he was 92nd in NHL scoring, never made an all-star team or played in the final. But everybody knows who did any investigation, and God love him, and Bernie's a friend. And he had an outstanding career. Was it Hall of Fame worthy? Well, it's debatable. But Emil Francis had replaced the late Jim Proudfoot on the panel. Just like Al Arbor replaced Bobby Orr when Bobby Orr resigned, so the next year Clark Gillies got in. And then when Denny Savard went in before Dale Howardchuck, the entire hockey world went nuts, and Howardchuck went in the next year. And they got it right with Roger Nielsen, but then they didn't get it right with Pat Burns, and he passed away, and then they put him in. You know, go down the line. Bert Olmsted, it doesn't matter. You can pick almost any decade and find 10 names. So it's not about that with Paul. I get that. I get where you're going with that. That's fine. But unfortunately, that's a sidebar story to what's happened to a degree with the Russians going in. I got asked on a radio show earlier this week, why do you care? You know, because uh, why do you care about Yakushev? I don't care about Yakushev. Good on Yakushev. That's fine. But, you know, you put three guys into a losing team. Hold on a second here. Now you got my attention again. <laughs> right? it's, it's not about Yakushev in that, in that sense, but it's about the fact that Paul played against him and played better than him 
and did more than him in the series you're championing that guy for. So that's wrong. And wrongs need to be corrected. And that's what I've been trying to do for 18 years on a number of different fronts. And I've got one more massive card that I'm playing. The end of the January, yeah. God willing, if things go well. I've been working on it. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. Liam, I don't know what else I can do. Liam, let, let me interrupt you there. We only got a few few minutes left, unfortunately. But uh, uh, I, you just you segued into what I wanted to finish with you with, which is you've got something in the works. So yeah. uh, in in two minutes, uh, two and two and a half minutes, please uh, please let us know what you've got in the works coming up in January. Well, I'm 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 sworn to secrecy at the moment <laughs> okay. only because uh, it's it's uh, it's it's fairly substantial and all the ducks aren't in a row, so I can save you about ninety seconds here. Okay, it's good. Just, it's just, I'm just not able to uh, to uh, 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 roll the whole thing out right now, but it's um it, it would be significant uh, public. Uh, public support for uh, for for uh, for hopefully a um, uh, switch of a mindset of selection committee, who some of them are personal friends of mine, and probably you guys as well, and and the current group anyway. Now there is mandate you can only stay three years. If you want to stay additional three, there's rules there. People can Google it and see it, whatever. But I I do have something else that I'm working on. It would be a, a huge public outpouring of support for Paul, uh, potentially tying in coast to coast, but definitely on a on a, on a more um, singular blast, if you will, and uh, supportive of just hopefully uh, uh, a change in mindset that would, um, that would a message that would be um, uh, ultimately be received by the selection committee that they would, um, they would concede maybe to, um, to putting Paul and inducting him into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Liam, we'll give you another 45 seconds. Tell us about your new book. <laughs> I'm writing uh, my fourth book, and it's uh, it's my most ambitious project ever. I'm doing a life story of a guy. Most people are familiar with the hockey movie Slapshot. The main antagonist in that movie was a character named Ogie Oglethorpe, <laughs> based on a real man named Goldie Goldthorpe. And I'm writing his life story. It'll be released in April. It's going to be the most explosive book written with a sports component in history. He was regarded as the world's most violent athlete. Bob Costas is writing the forward. It is absolutely an insane, crazy, unreal story, and I can't wait for, wait for people to see it. Anything everybody's heard about him pretty much is true, and now you're going to know all about it from A to Z in, uh, in April when the book comes out. I can't wait. Anyways, Lee, Liam, when the, when, the, when the movie comes out, Naz and I, we're putting in our audition right now. We, we want to be the play-by-play from, announcers. From, from Paul Henderson to Ogie Oglethorpe. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we got a little... We got a little... We got a little... against each other in the WHA. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're certainly going to look forward to that. Uh, Liam, you're the you're the hockey trivia expert, renowned. We're gonna we're gonna leave you we're gonna leave you with a with a hockey slash football trivia question. We won't ask you to answer it on the phone uh, on the air, uh, but if you get it, send me an email. Naz and I came up with this one about three or four years ago. It's Google proof, I can assure you. So I'll leave you with this one, Liam. If you can figure this one out, email us uh, in the coming days. Who's the only person that ever played in the Ontario Hockey League, the CFL, and the NFL. Only pl- person who ever, only player who ever played in the Ontario Hockey League, Major Junior A Hockey, the CFL, and the NFL. Liam, we're going to leave you with that. Uh, if you figure it out, otherwise, if I don't I hear from, I don't know. If I don't hear from you in forty-eight hours, I'll email you the answer. Uh, anyway, right, buddy. Sounds listen, good. keep up the keep up the good fight. Keep us posted. We're on we're on your side, Liam. Uh, we support you one hundred percent. Let's get Paul Henderson into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for having me on. G'day, fellas. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, From Paul Henderson to Ogie Ogle. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, that was uh, quite, uh, quite the... Uh, Quite these, so much passion, so much absolute passion for uh, for uh, Paul Henderson and for hockey. Uh, we got a minute left, not even thirty seconds. Naz, CFL, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are playing the Ottawa. Oh, they're not the Rough Riders anymore. Can somebody somebody give them that Rough Rider name back? I think Horn Chen still owns it. Somebody should buy the uh, rights to the Rough Riders back. God rest his soul, Horn Chen. Is he? Is he passed away? He's passed away. Yeah, then God rest his soul. But somehow we should get that Rough Rider. Anyways, it's the Thai Cats. It's the Eastern Commerce conference final uh, we've got listeners in hamilton uh brings back so many memories of some of the great cfl any team, I, i'm thinking any, russ jackson and angelo mosca are going to come up team that has rick flair on their side is going <laughs> to the great cup so i'm taking the hamilton tiger cats to win the great cup anyways there's there you know look back with fond memories on some great great cfl uh playoffs from the uh from the previous uh, times, uh, Ottawa, Hamilton, Russ Jackson, Ronnie Stewart, Whit Tucker, Angela Mosca, John Barrow, Bernie Filoni, Joe Zuger. To all our listeners, Naz. See you next week. See you next week.